Hi, I'm Cheryl and Fenn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horse. Do you enjoy listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the podcast? Have you picked up our book yet? Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. That has over 100 cast and crew who have contributed to this book. And it's, I think people really love it. I mean, we also have community commentary where a lot of the community have participated in this. It's just a great book. We recommend you pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Good. Guess what time it is? We're going to do another uh, David Lynch film. We are. Yep. What D- movie? Dune. Dune. And luckily enough, I have my Dune crib notes. I'm ready to go. And uh, we even got a guest on. I, it's always good to have somebody, another perspective on a film. Always. And so we got Rosie from Diane Podcast. She's going to be joining us right now. Oh, I don't need notes. That's right. So, Rosie, it's so good to have you on the show. Uh, you you are part of the Diane Podcast. Can you tell us about the Diane Podcast? I'd love to tell you about the Diane Podcast. Yeah, um, it's so nice to be on. Um, so, yeah, I do a podcast with my older brothers, Adam and Mark, and our very good friend, Bob. And also, actually, I should mention our sort of silent partner, Dave, who does all the sound. And, yeah, it's a podcast about Tim Peaks. Uh, we're currently doing our sort of rewatch, so I think we're up to episode 20 or so on that. Mm. And I guess the thing with the podcast, we didn't have the benefit going in of a kind of uh, that sort of excellent dynamic that you guys have of the kind of fresh pair of eyes and <laughs> a sort of expert voice, um, because we've all sort of seen the show. So we kind of tried to find our sort of way of hooking in, which was to get very sort of obsessive about the sort of weird minutiae of the show and the kind of things we're interested in. So we're all sort of quite interested in sort of magic, strange kind of paranormal history mm. and folklore and storytelling. And these are the kinds of things we try to kind of drill down on Diane and, um, and people's hairdos and that kind of thing. We also yeah. end up talking about a lot as well. What I love about your show is the energy that you guys bring, and you guys seem very excited and happy. And I recently uh, listened to your uh, Secret History of uh, Twin Peaks, Mark Frost book. You recently did that show, and you guys were wonderful. Yeah. And I love the energy and, and excitement for, uh, that you guys bring to each show. So it, it really is something. Oh, thank you. Well, that's really kind of you to say. I, I mean, I like that. I think that's often the thing about podcasts, isn't it, is that they tend to be something that's done out of kind of friendship groups. Mm, yeah. Um, and so that everyone has their own kind of dynamic that they bring to it, which is really nice. Um, I remember hearing the story of you guys of how you started with it. It was an idea that was floated at Ben's uh, birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we took it forward from there. And that's always the nice thing, I think. They kind of organically grow out of, yeah. out of you know, your own kind of enthusiasms with your mates and mm. the kind of things you like to talk about. Yeah, yeah definitely. So it's something else. I definitely recommend everybody check it out. One of the things I said too is I think I, I I probably started listening to Diane podcast you know so many episodes in and I liked it so much that I went back to the beginning and started listening to that and I can't say it's true from all the podcasts that I listen to but there's something about your show that I was like you know I got to get back to the beginning of when you guys first started and start listening to these early episodes because you guys are so good. Oh well, thank you. That's that's wonderful to hear. That's really gratifying to hear back. So let's talk to, about Dune. Dune. R- Rosie, yes, you, you have the perspective of actually uh, read, reading the book, haven't you? I have, yeah. And in fact, I read the book um, before I saw the film. Hmm. So it's quite difficult for me to judge, I think, in a way. But yeah, I've, I've read the book. I've read all of the Frank Herbert Dune books. Uh, really, really enjoy those books. I read the first book probably once a year. 
so I'm I'm very into Dune. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was really exciting. But I'm 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 also really interested to hear your takes because you guys haven't read the book. Mm. Yeah, I I just watched the movie last night. Yeah, and I and for the book, I think right. I, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm I just like with the TV series with the films, I won't let Brian watch the films until we, yeah, we talk. Yeah, I'm in lockdown. <laughs> I'm in lockdown up until the point. Right. Yeah, I I try I've tried to get into the books of Dune, and like it is about 500 pages, but it is like Dune is considered one of the best sci-fi books ever and stuff. And I don't I don't yeah. know why I've never gotten into it, but it has influenced a lot. It has. Yeah. So I mean, right. they, they, some say maybe even Star Wars was probably influenced by mm. Dune. There's definitely some some yeah. parallels, but uh, yeah. Mm. So I mean, most people would say, you know, whenever you make a book into a film, oh, it's not as good as the book. And I'm guessing that's probably what you would say. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's I think what a lot of fans would say. Um, I really, really like the film a lot, mm. and I, I mean, I don't think it's as kind of perfected a work as the book mm. because the book was just made by one man you know and he was able to just sit down and write it um, and Dune has a lot of hands on it it has the evidence of a lot of kind of um, studio kind of concerns and stuff around it mm. I think you know you can see that it was edited right back you can see that they were really trying to keep to a particular running time mm. all of this stuff but I do think the film is, is wonderful. I really, really enjoy it. Um, and I, I didn't watch it for many years um, because I, I'd read the book when I was kind of uh, a teenager. Right around the same time, I was very into Twin Peaks. Hmm. Um, and I knew there was this David Lynch Dune film out there, but I kind of read this... Um, Frank Herbert had a series of short stories called I, which hmm. was published in 1986, which is a couple of years after Dune came out. And there's a, there's a prologue in that in which he talks about the film and talks about the experience of making the film. And he really stood by the film, and it was clear he really enjoyed making it uh, mm. with, with David Lynch and everyone. But it was also clear from the way he spoke about it that the film had not been a success, that people hadn't liked it. Mm. So I was kind of worried about, about watching the film, because uh, I didn't want to watch you know, a David Lynch Dune film that was going to be disappointing and mm. sad. And then I did watch it, and I didn't find it disappointing and sad at all. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, it was quite quite an achievement considering what they had to work with. You know, cause it's a big book, as you say, yeah. around five hundred pages. You know, um, so to make a two-hour film is not easy. And I do think, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's points where it starts to show a little bit. But I mean, I, I don't know how you guys got on with it in general. Brian, it's, this is your first time seeing the film. What did you Ooh. think about it? Just really quickly, I saw this film briefly. Um, like, growing up, my dad showed me Star Wars, and I remember Dune right. on HBO, and I remember The Worms. Yeah. Beyond Sand that, yeah. The Sandworms. That always Ooh. stuck out in my head. Like, that was the thing. Um, but I finally got to sit down and watch the whole film. I enjoyed it. It isn't good, or it is good. And yeah. I was like, am I going to see a David Lynch film? that might not be in his wheelhouse. Mm. Well, I feel this is not good. Like, how... I'm afraid, yeah. but I, I'm yeah, excited. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited. So I watched it, and for me, I want to watch it again because mm. I think there's a lot going on. Mm. For me, it picks up in the third act. Um, I think yeah. overall, it's, it's enjoyable. It's, it's well done. It does show, for me, David Lynch's weak points, which is fine because it's not his normal stuff. And it's his third mm. film out of the gate. So, yeah. I mean, I think he did good right. for the third film. I mean, and there was a lot of restrictions. A lot of pressure with, there. Yeah, a lot of, he was yeah. limited. And Rosie Ray mentioned that, like, originally I think this was a four hour uh, a cut, cut. Yeah. And then they had to say, no, Yeah, they, there's some ridiculous long <laughs> cut out there. Isn't there? Yeah. And then they, they forced him. To, yeah, they forced him to say, you know, you have to say within the two hours. And then other people yeah. were writing w w with him, and they. I think that there was two writers, and then they went, and and, yeah. and Lynch was helping with the script. And it definitely seemed like studios had a lot of control on on how to do this. I have a question for both of you. So, so there's two versions of this film. The t I looked into this. There's a TV version, and the TV version has footage. That wasn't in the the movie version, and the TV version was kind of re-edited. They took some footage out, and they added some new ones in in different order. Mm. So mm -hmm. the the actual TV version of this movie is different from what you saw in the theater. And I'm wondering if you guys had seen the TV version of this at all. 
I'm not sure what. So the copy that I have at home, I just got on the front of the newspaper about eight years ago. It was on the cover of The Guardian. Um, and I just sort of hung on to that one. The, the version I had was two hours and 15 minutes, which I think is a bit longer than the theatrical running time, which I'm pretty sure was two hours. So it might be the TV version. Mine was, uh, the one I watched was about two hours and 15 minutes too. But yeah. I also recorded, oh, okay. it, I recorded it off the TV because like, Brian and I, we were, we were talking about buying the DVD, and then it just happened to be on TV, and it's like, I'll just record this. Mm. So I, mine was about two hours and 15 minutes as well. So here's what I know about the extended version. I think they had, because it was TV, they would do like, I don't know, you would say bumpers, or they would do things where it was kind of like, oh, you were in a commercial, here's to help you remember what's going yeah, on. So there was yeah. these added stuff too, yep. just to help kind of know what's going on Not. in the movie and stuff. So I don't think it was anything... Major changes. Yeah, there is a web page out there that compares and shows you what they did for the TV version compared right. to the uh, the um, the film version. And I'm sure we all know Lynch did not have anything to do with no. this uh, television version. And I think what I read was Lynch said the TV version something about putting someone else's name in there. Yeah, is it Alan Smithy or is that? Is yeah. I think it's an Alan Smithy one. Yeah, yeah. Now, what is their excuse when they want to distance themselves from the project, isn't it? Yeah. So what is what what is the reference to that? So I think that was it. I, I think it's a pseudonym that yeah. uh, that directors use when they don't want to be associated. Oh. So it's not just Lynch. It's like oh, I thought something Lynchy in there. No, I think it's every director who doesn't want to be associated <laughs> with the film. How cool would it have been if you've been like directed by the Blue Rose? <laughs> oh my goodness, that would be amazing. Yeah. Philip Jeffries. This movie came out, and I was telling Ben, maybe you heard about this too, Rosie. This is interesting. So you know this movie is complicated. It has a lot of pieces mm. and weird yeah. words like thumper. You're like, that's the thumper, but it, it thumps on the ground, so I know what that is. Yeah. Um, but some things are just bizarre. So I found out, and I actually have a copy, when Dude came out in the theater, the opening weekend or whatever, the theaters were handing out crib notes. To all the oh theater goers, <laughs> it was two sided, and it was called Dune. It's <laughs> no. not a good sign, no. is it? No, it's not. It's <laughs> it's called Dune terminology, and it literally it, it's two sided with every like the last names, what different meanings to different. Oh um, and people on Reddit were saying, no wonder people were confused. Of this movie, they're too busy squinting at this small print in the middle of the dark <laughs> trying to read this, and they were missing the movie. Yeah. And I'm like, that's crazy. I I feel like that if, that, if that happened today, a, a film would be like panned. It would be like, what right. are you doing? Well, this is thinking. I mean, uh, yeah, I was I was listening to uh, you guys talking to uh, Francine about about Wild at Heart. Mm. Yeah. Um, a, a few days ago, I was catching up on that show. And um, and she mentioned how often in David Lynch films, you know, you have this very meditative time to kind of sort of get your get your mood right within mm. the space of the movie, and they open up very slowly. And you you, you can't have that in Dune whatsoever. Mm. It starts like straight away, yeah. firing names and places and and these ridiculous terms like Chris Hatterack and all of this nonsense <laughs> right at you, you know. Um, and it is, I, I, it does feel like it. It's not the kind of pace that we would want. And I completely agree that once we get to the third act, it yeah. feels like the pace is, is more kind of mm. where it should be. But yes, it's so much to get straight all at once. You know, this is, this is a book with appendixes and sequels. And it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's an awful lot. So you kind of feel like you needed more time. I mean, to try to fit everything into a two-hour movie. I think they did a miniseries, I want to say in the 90s yes. or so, they did a miniseries, yep. which again wasn't... Wasn't highly. People didn't like the miniseries either. But what, no, what, I mean I've seen I've seen the miniseries. It's not good. Um, no. I'm much, the, the David Lynch film is, is much more successful yeah. in my view. Mm. And what I've heard is that that uh, this film Lynch's film here it is a little more accurate to the book. I mean they do change mm. some things, but they try to stay true. And I it's, it's one of those things where you try to stay true, but then you have all a lot of five hundred pages to try to fit into this. Yeah, movie I did read about how Lynch. This is the interesting part of the Dune mythology. He did change something in the film. There were gonna, there's gonna be like a fight scene, like kung fu, like hmm. a, and Lynch is like, that doesn't make any sense to have like a kung fu movie. Uh. So he changed, it, and I believe, um, 
you know, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was like the he he did it with those voice things, or he, yeah. he changed something in the mm. fighting, and that actually became part of the Dune history when they made other things like the miniseries, and oh, they yeah. they tried to make they made another Dune movie, but it kind of went forward. So it's kind of interesting right. that Lynch got to change something. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's really cool, actually. I do think the voice it's, the voice weapons are actually quite an interesting addition to the lore, and they kind of work. Hmm. Um, I, I, I totally agree that the kind of, to have this sudden, like, shift, David Luke said, you know, like Kung Fu, hmm. uh, where everyone's suddenly, um, yeah, Kung Fu fighting out in the streets <laughs> of Arrakeen, would have, would have looked really weird. Right. And the definitely... The focus of the film isn't on those kinds of sequences. Yeah. Um, and the voice, voice weapons actually work really well within within the universe, I think. It's very cool. It's a good idea. Yeah, definitely. And, like, in the book, and I, I think some of the film stays true to this, the idea that the humans kind of don't believe in science or technology anymore and that mm-hmm. they do hand-to-hand combat. And I think that voice lends to it as well, that yeah. this is another way of, of how we fight or interact and stuff. From uh, Rosie, the book in the movie, I mean, what... Any blaring differences, though? Like, anything that you noticed? You yeah, I mean, there's, there's a huge difference um, at the very end. So at the very end um, of the book, Paul Atreides um, is, or, or Mwadib, as he's become, is uh, quite a... He's triumphant, certainly, and he's, he's mm. had his revenge, but he's a kind of quite a lonely figure, and he is sort of disbelieving in his own... Sort of, everyone's worshiping him as a god, but he doesn't believe he's a god. He's not really a god. Hmm. He certainly can't make it rain or anything like that. <laughs> mm. um, so that's that's a huge difference. I think it has a much sort of sadder tone towards the end um, than the film. And again, you know, it's I guess to do with it being a big movie. Mm. You know, forty million dollars, two hours long. You want to have that happy, triumphant ending. Mm. Yeah. And, and the rain at the end kind of. It kind of works. I, I get why they did it, but it, it feels very odd when mm. when you've had it dr- drilled into you all the way through that there's no precipitation on the racket whatsoever. Mm. There's no water moisture. You know, how, how on earth does that work? They have the water underneath mm. the wall there just hanging yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, yeah, so that's a huge... But, I mean, I think that it gets similar that feel really the same are the, are the production design, which is so incredible. Hmm. Um, yeah, and yeah. so beautiful to look at, um, and really, I can't imagine anyone doing a better job hmm. um, than this film does. You know, they really kind of nail the mood of this um, kind of strange alien world, where, as you say, you know, people don't really believe in. There's actually been a huge um, event called the uh, <laughs> called the Butlerian Jihad, where all the computers were wiped out hmm. because yeah. there was some kind of uh, problem that happened with artificial intelligence. We're not really sure what happened, but the humans decided to get rid of any sort of machines in the shape of a man's mind. Mm. Um, so, um, so yeah, so you end up with a very different kind of science fiction world uh, where you don't have computers, where people are having to fill these roles, mm. and, and, and people become very different and very shifted and alien and strange. And I just think the film does a fantastic job of conveying that. I think that's where, you know, you get David Lynch on slightly surer footing, uh, where we have these kind of very strange people who are um, sort of familiar but also very alien to us. Mm, yeah. Talking about technology, I think one of the differences too with between the book and the film is they, I think, is it weirding, the the weirding way, is that what it's called? But they have a weirding yeah. module. Like the, the whole technology of rumbling the grounds will bring out the, uh, the, 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 worms. the worms and stuff. Yeah. And I don't think that was in the book. I think that's some kind of device they used for for the film, which I think is interesting is because like the whole point is that they, they ditch science, they t- ditch technology, and then they use the technology to uh, bring in the worms and stuff, which is kind of, I think that's kind of breaks down the whole idea of yeah. like, why did you do that? But, yeah, uh, yeah. But, yeah, it kind of ends up coming full circle, doesn't it? Rosie, what, what are your, some of your favorite parts of the film that you really like? So, I mean, yeah, as I say, other than the production design, which I've just hugely into mm. and I looked it up actually and apparently it was a man named Tony Masters huh. who was in charge of the production design uh, which I and I didn't know this but he worked on 2001 but yeah so obviously great pedigree there can't rave enough about that because I just think it's completely beautiful to look at as a film also what I liked about it 
I like Kyle McLaughlin in this mm, film. Yeah. He's great. He is something. This is his first time working with David Lynch. His first yes. movie role. Oh, his first movie role. Yeah, this is his and first this is movie wonderful. role. Wow. He is very charming. Yeah, so this, is, yep. this is where we get him from. Oh. And we're so lucky to have him, you yeah. know. So <laughs> I think that's a wonderful bit. And I also think you don't get, you know, I look at um, Karl McLaughlin's portrayal of Paul Atreides, mm. and there's um, kind of blessed but also cursed character with all these incredible gifts mm. who kind of understands how things all fit together and is sort of confident in that knowledge. Yeah. And I think. You know, Agent Cooper has a relationship to him. Mm. I think you don't get you don't get the Agent Cooper we know without Paul Atreides in this film. Mm. Um, and I like that. Uh, that, yeah. As a Dune fan, I find that incredibly satisfying. I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I still feel that Kyle has a little bit of boyishness. He's a little, he's got, mm. like, I know, he, he's just got that uh, way about him. That, yeah. you know, sometimes he'll just give a look or something, and it's just like, oh, I can see Cooper. I can see him. And he can play the badass <laughs> at the end, yes. too. And what is his name? Uh, Big Ed there. Everett, Everett McGill. McGill. And like, what a great, I mean, yeah. they weren't in it together a lot, but they were, you saw this bromance. I want to see more of them together. Yeah. I thought they were great in the battle scenes together. I was like, he can act. Yeah. This is better than Big Ed. This is like, <laughs> he can really act. I'm yeah. like, I've never seen him beyond Twin Peaks. Uh, so. It's amazing, isn't it? And isn't he good in it? You yeah, know, so good. lovely sort of deep voice when you're talking about more deep. And all, yeah, yeah, uh, love yeah. It. And um, Jack Nance as well pops up, doesn't he? Yeah, um, briefly, yep. Yeah, it's good to see him. Briefly. <laughs> Just hanging out with the Harkonnens. And the two people that I was I was surprised to see, Patrick Stewart, mm. which mm. was really cool. And yeah. the, the most interesting part is that Sting, you know, Sting is in this film. And a lot of the way it's promoted and, you know, as history goes on, this movie, you think of Dune, you think of Sting. I've seen so many mm. promotional stills of Sting. But he's barely in it. Well, the funny thing, even when this movie was first released, I think they would have posters with him. Like, like at the time, Sting was getting very popular yeah. and his music was popular. So people were thinking they were going to see a, a movie with, with Sting. Him, Sting. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, he's barely in the film. I didn't want Sting because he was a rock star. And then I saw him in a film called Brimstone and Treacle, which I don't think has come to uh, France. But it's a British picture. And I saw him and I saw uh, this... Uh, I said, I, he's got to be, he's perfect for this character. And now in the, uh, many places in the world, people think Sting is almost the star of Dune because during the time of Dune, he became a superstar. Uh -huh. And now everybody ha puts pictures out with him, but then they become uh, crazy because he's only got a small part in the, in the picture. But he does a great job and he was super to work with, but he is, um, he's not the star of, of Dune. You know, that fight at the end would have just been a little bit more interesting if they had a fight or they had something prior. Yeah. yeah. I feel yeah, like it was anticlimactic, you know? I mean, I think, I think the film, a lot. we didn't get a lot of backstory throughout the film. Like, I think at times it was kind of like, oh, I'd love to know about that character more, this yeah. character. But it was, we, we just had to keep going. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What do you guys think about, so there was a lot of voiceover and a lot of, like, think uh, internal thinking throughout the film. And I Ooh. I had mixed feelings about it. Sometimes I liked it, and sometimes it's like you're telling the story. You, you have yeah. to tell the story yeah, by yeah, just yeah. letting us hear what they're thinking. Where are my feelings? I feel for no one. Yeah, and I think also, like, I mean, absolutely that, mixed feelings as well. Like, I think we're so used to David Lynch being a character who is so good at handling people's inner lives without needing to literally have them reading it out to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that it, it does feel slightly odd. But I guess it also establishes that um, that these people's sort of inner lives and their kind of internal realm that's also expanding like space is a site of great drama. Hmm. Uh, so you have things like the Gonja Bar scene at the very beginning. Uh, which is just, you know, all taking place with inside Paul's head, really. And and I think Jessica, when she, um, so Paul's mother, when she has to go through the spice trance to become a full reverend mother, again, these things are all taking place inside people's heads, mm. and, and what's going on inside people's heads is, like, massively dramatic. So I guess they're trying to find a way to show that. But I do think all the whispering and the internal monologues, yeah, I'm not sure whether it comes off. It, it creates quite a weird mood, I think. Yeah, I honestly, when I was watching the film, I at first I was like, can they read their thoughts? <laughs> I did too. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah, I thought really. it was. Right. Yeah, it seems like people are psychic. Yeah, like yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, is he hearing what he's saying? By the end, I figured out that 
that it was just like an internal monologue. Yeah, and mm. there, there was these voiceovers where they had to just spell it out for you because probably they knew that this is going to be way too much in a two-hour yeah. span. We got to give you some information. Right. And I think I think when they when they had to edit down from four hours to two hours, I think they that's when they were added. They yeah. did add some of that. So I think that I, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But I agree with you. I was the same way. Is like, are we going to learn by the end that that uh, they can hear each other without talking? Yeah, <laughs> I heard you. Awkward. Yeah. The last time, you know, I would see stuff like that is the Superman movie. You yeah. know, so in my brain, I'm just thinking, oh, they're reading their thoughts. You know, yeah. so a lot of uh, science fiction, a lot of novels, a lot of things have taken from Dune. Uh, Rosie, what when you first read Dune or saw Dune, what do you what would you compare it to? I mean, the comparison I would make with Jean um, is is actually one that you see on the back of the book cover, so I'm not being original here, mm-hmm. but um, there's a lovely quote from Arthur C. Clarke who compares it to Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a, it's a similar kind of book, you know. Um, Lord of the Rings has had a much more, I think, successful film adaptations, although mm-hmm. maybe not as interesting, but certainly there's this huge universe and I, I think that's what I really enjoy about it is mm. the scale of the world building. I just think it's impressive in and of itself. You know, it's like Frank Herbert had this huge vision of uh, massive distances and time. Like the books take place across thousands of years. Mm. And, uh, and I, I love that about it. I love that kind of nerdy sort of here's my maps, here's my encyclopedias, here's the world I've built for you thing. Yeah. Uh, I find that really exciting. I was thinking, going into this, I'm like, oh, it's going to remind me of Star Wars. But I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, Ben, you know, me and Ben were texting when I was watching last night. And, you know, is this David Lynch's Star Wars, Ben? And I'm like, no, not even close. This, and I mean, Star Wars is a different thing. And there's definitely influence, definitely, definitely. But for me, um, I'm just coming off my six-season Game of Thrones binge and that's been right. on my, my mind, that's what this reminds me of. Mm. It really, to me, has this medieval um, history. So you have the houses, yeah. which are the planets, mm. which would be kingdoms. Um, then you have the family ties. You have, it's a political drama. Yeah. You have greed, you have yeah. power. Watching it go, oh my God, this is like Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I think that's what made me enjoy it even more. Like Paul reminded me of uh, Jon Snow because he goes over the wall, and in Game yeah. of Thrones is a big wall of ice. And in this, you have a wall that keeps the sand out. Jon Snow goes with the wildlings, and Paul goes with the people who live over the wall. So, do, no, Rose, you watch Game of Thrones? Yes, I've read all the books as well, yeah. Uh, okay, so... Game of Thrones nerd. <laughs> so, help, so, tell me if you agree. Arides reminds me... They remind me of the Starks. Yep, absolutely. Um, because they share honor with family. Mm-hmm. Um, the mm-hmm. Duke, the Duke who dies is Ned Stark. No, yep. sp- I'm giving spoilers. Well, he totally is, isn't he? Uh, yeah. yeah. And then the Harkonis are the Lannisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And they have a long standing feud between the two houses. Yeah. Then I would say the Duke and the Emperor, well, in the movie, they're kind of friends. They have like a respect for each other, but they know the Duke has to die in, in Game mm-hmm. of Thrones. You know, Ned has to uh, die as well. So I would say, like, the Duke is Ned Stark, and the Emperor is uh, Robert Baratheon, the king. Mm. Um, and then Paul would be Jon Snow, because in the show, Jon Snow is his bastard, is uh, Ned's bastard son. But in this, he's his only son. He had only had, there was only females, if I get They're that right. They're not allowed to have male. Uh, so yeah, he yeah. is, like, the only male. And mm. for some reason, he has this thing about him to go over yeah. on that planet and go over that wall and meet with these these indigenous people that have hmm. been living over there protecting this water and in game of thrones john snow the wildlings are or kind spice. of are the, yeah the spice so the worms to me are the dragons so like i was just like yes this reminds me of like if you take away the spaceships and you just give us those castles huh i'm yeah. like this is cool. game of thrones that's what I got out of it, only because I've I been watching. I think that's amazing how closely that maps over. <laughs> I think that's a really good comparison, yeah. actually. And it's only because we I just watched all six seasons in the last month, so it's all fresh from my head. Right. And I think that's what made me enjoy it. Yeah, but isn't that interesting that we both went to fantasy text yeah. rather than science fiction text? Yeah, mm. definitely. And I think that is the thing. It doesn't feel like typical science fiction. To me, it feels much more like fantasy. Mm. And yeah. maybe that is because of the lack of computers and the lack of 
Mm. You know, you see spaceships, but it's all very kind of abstract, really. Yeah, definitely. It's more about sort of the, the relationships between characters and these long-standing feuds, like you were saying, you mm. know. Yeah, it's more uh, grounded when it comes to these personal uh issues and yeah there's not much of space travel you see spaceships and stuff going on but it's kind yeah. of like background i mean they don't have a big space battle or anything you know it's all on the ground it's all ground stuff we talked about star wars before i'm sure we all know that uh lynch was offered the director role for return yeah. of the jedi i think it was before yeah. right before yeah. dune and stuff that he was like offered and he was like he had a headache from george uh, lucas because like <laughs> wookies what are wookies and, and it's funny that he he, he he wouldn't be into star wars but then he sees dune yeah. and be like yeah i can i'll take that on i think i mean we were talking before i guess he liked the book he really he really liked he, the he book really connected to the book but yeah. it's funny because like these are both sci-fi things they're both I guess it could be complicated. I think Dune is more complicated than oh. Star Wars is. Star Wars is like so simple. The the ideas of Star Wars are be are, are just so basic that makes it so universal. I think Dune is so complicated for its own good. You know, yeah. sometimes it gets a little too heady. I can say like Game of Thrones, it, they throw a lot at you in that first episode. Yeah. This this movie, if it made it into a series. I think would work right. if they could make a really good series. Yeah. And how what, yeah. Game of Thrones? How is it like ten episodes? Ten a episodes a season, right? So you get you ten episodes Ooh. for a book. I think that would be yeah. I mean, perfect. two hours is just so much, and you know, Dune is very dense. I mean, there's a lot to dig in, and yeah, it's a shame that we only have this one cut of the film. Yeah, they they, yeah. they really tried to help you by giving you a cheat sheet when you walked in the theater. <laughs> Giving you the voiceovers yeah. in between scenes. I mean, they did their best, right? right. Yeah. And I do think they did. A, they yeah. tried. Yeah. They tried. <laughs> and I think they did have other problems. I think uh, they were running out of money, so that they they were running out of money for special effects, which the effects were fine to me. But I guess they were running out of money. I think the sets that they built, they built them and they couldn't move them. Like I guess I remember hearing that. So it's like, yes. if, you know, for as a director, you want to be able to get the camera in the right place and line things up. And if you can't be able to move the sets, that's a problem. I think. I think I read they mm. did eighty-two sets. Wow. David Lynch worked in this film for three years. Hmm. Three years. And I mean, I'll, I mean, I'm sorry. A razorhead was probably like that too. But I mean, three years. He did everything in that. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. But uh, so it's interesting. This is the only David Lynch film to break the top five in his career, and it was considered a box office bomb. But it came in number yeah. two when it opened. The first week or so. The first week. I don't yeah. even know how is that. Could, I mean, it probably didn't make its money back. That's maybe, why it's a bomb. Whatever's number one must have been really good, though. Maybe that it was like. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I don't know what's number one was. But they consider it yeah, a financial. Yeah, I don't know film. actually, but yeah. yeah, no, it didn't quite make money back. I don't think in the U.S. Although I think it it did quite well internationally, so it mm. has just gone over, but certainly not enough, I guess, for the time. As you're saying, three years, forty million dollars. Uh, it's, it's a lot of an outlay. I don't even they broke even. It, it was like. I think they made around forty million, but then it was probably forty million to make. But then they, you also do the uh, do promotion, promotion, which added about fifty yeah. million. So it was yeah. absolutely yeah. <laughs> got thing. So Lynch was in this film. I always like it when uh, directors make cameos. I love that yeah. scene. Spice worker there. <laughs> that was good acting by oh, Lynch. Yeah. That's funny. I thought that was brilliant. Um, you guys are actually watching David Lynch's films in quite a focused way at the moment, aren't you? I was going to ask, is David Lynch in The Elephant Man? I can't remember at all. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't, we I'm didn't mention him at all. We didn't mention him. I don't remember. So we don't think he was in it. I don't think he it. was. Because nope. I feel like often his, in, in his cameo roles, he's, he is playing a character who can't really hear properly. Yes, but yes. I'm not sure whether this pans out, but it's definitely in June. That's and what? it's obviously in Twin Peaks as well yeah. with uh, Gordon Cole. That's awesome. And he's kind of yelling his line because yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. And he dies. I mean, well, I don't know if he dies, but like the 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 thing blows up. Tell me to get out of he, there. Yeah, and like we don't know what happens to his character. He could have been blown up because they're like, get out of there, and it blows up behind a bunch of people. Yeah. Was it impressive? Well, I hope they got out. Yeah, I hope so too. He was probably in Dune too. Um, <laughs> I was impressed about. Seeing the scenes with everybody in the desert, because back then, you know, they couldn't just CG more people. That was a lot of extras they had. In and they went, they went to Mexico to uh, film this. It was a huge crowd, and it was so striking visually. It's such beautiful, those scenes out mm. in the desert, I thought. 
Yeah. It's a shame that, you know, David Lynch, you know, he won't go back to it to remaster it because I got the Blu-ray and it looked beautiful on Blu-ray, but, you know, you can tell it wasn't remastered. You can still see the the flickers and the the different things that probably would happen on the film version, you know, the the lines and stuff. It's a shame because some of those scenes are really, they are. Yeah. Breathtaking. I think it's Universal who owns the rights right now, and I think they have reached out to David Lynch about remaster. I mean, uh, uh, re-editing yeah. it and so a director's cut, and he's not interested. He is done with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I don't think he wants anything else to do. With it. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, he said it's gonna. It brings back bad memories. Yeah, I did. I'm so sad about that. I know. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think there's a lot to love in that film. Yeah, definitely. I didn't be, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, these film shows in order of anniversaries. So this came out uh, December 14th, 1984. And this, uh-huh. is, this is the week right now of December 14th. We're actually, if, if you're listening to it on the day we down, you downloaded it, uh, uh, it's a Wednesday the 14th, so it would be 32 years ago. 32 years ago. You know, the, the film is exactly the same age as me, pretty much. That's very <laughs> nice. That's gratifying. That's pretty cool. Wow. <laughs> well, happy Dune Day. Happy Dune Day. <laughs> <laughs> you had mentioned du- the Duke, uh, the father there. He actually was in The Missing Pieces of Twin Peaks. He was the, the woodsman. Like, you know, we, where he, he brings his The log lady's up. husband? Well, it could oh, be. Or we think. We don't, I mean, I don't know if he. Yeah, yeah he, you know, yeah. he puts his hand up and he slaps it and stuff. But it was, it was cut from the film. But yeah. we see it in the missing pieces. But it's funny, like he's he's a well-known actor, and like it really be like Lynch is like, oh, we'll we, we'll put you in the woodsman part and stuff, which then <laughs> never never you know, twenty-five years, years later, later we see it, or you know, twenty-some odd years later yeah. we get to see that part. But he was a good actor. Yeah, you wonder, that's great to know actually, because yeah, I really thought that 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 uh, that role was was fantastic. I, I actually made a note of name, Jurgen Prochnow. Um, I thought he was fantastic as Duke, uh, the Leto. Is it? I think he's Leto Atreides. And speaking of the Duke, the 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 tooth was the most oddest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, what? Yes. A fall- and He's he, going to kill the Baron with, with, with uh, the tooth. tooth yes. but with the false tooth. The false tooth. How <laughs> easily did he pull out his tooth? Yes. He just yanked it with no pain. The guy had no yep. pain. Yeah. And he just, he shoves it in the face. He's like, tooth. I don't want to do this. And then he just yanked yeah. it. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> to me, I saw the weakness in David Lynch's style. This film, fighting scenes in his films, you don't see action. And, like an action scene, Fire Walk with Me deleted scene. Yes, <laughs> yes, and, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, the and cable there. And oh. I think that's not his thing, and that's understandable. But they come out on the worms and they're shooting easy. That's cool. But like when they did hand to hand combat and whatnot, it was just so like eighties predictable, cheesy kind of stuff. But it is the eighties. I know. Oh, it was terrible, wasn't it? It looked like uh, Power Rangers. I thought yes. the, uh, the hand to hand combat bit. I, I, I said to Ben, it reminded me of Ninja Turtles. Uh. It was like, Calabunga, dude. <laughs> they would just hit their f- back of the fist in the face and they just go flying. Uh. Like, it was just like there was no effort. And it was just like, yeah. it was more style than actual, like, mm. how people would really fight. And I can tell that was, to me, I was like saying, that's Lynch's one, probably one weakness. Because it's not his thing to do an action sequence yeah. with hand-to-hand combat. like. Mm. Yeah, the first and last time he's done that kind of thing, those kinds of battle scenes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, there's no other film. I mean, I haven't. we haven't watched Eraserhead or uh, right. Lost Highway, but there's no real fight scenes in any of his movies overall. Yeah. I, I can't think of any that I've watched so far. Well, yeah, not a lot, really. We yeah. had a little bit in uh, Wild at Heart. T- yeah, a tiny bit. A tiny bit. Yes. So it's interesting. The movie is very much about the spice and we, yet we never see the spice in the film. I mean, there's the work, spice workers and stuff, but it's interesting we never really actually physically see Is it in like those little vials? Or maybe they were. I don't know. And something like a piece of gum or something that Paul was chewing at some point. Uh, yeah. Because that reminded me of Twin Peaks again and Cooper <laughs> chewing gum. And basically they're saying was that the worms are the spice. Like the worms create the spice. That's true. Mm-hmm. So right. without the worms, there would be no spice. So I'm thinking to myself, it, it's worm... Poop? Like, what is it? it? It's coming from the worms. The worms are creating the spice. Now, oh, some of the characters are just crazy. Like, the weird... I kind of like the idea that they had to pull up, like, a microphone for the aliens to talk to the humans so you'd understand them. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of interesting because, like, in Star Wars and stuff, people just automatically know what other species are saying. Mm. And But in this world, 
they have to have like some sort of thing to um Right. Translate. And they do explain the independent they had their suits and they explained how you had to wear things to handle yeah. the environment. And I thought that was pretty Yeah, cool. it was cool how they did that. All that stuff I really like. I really like still suits, you know, the the things you have to use in the desert to catch all your own moisture mm. so you can drink it back again. <laughs> which is so disgusting. Yes. Um but it's it's a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, drinking your own sweat. Oh, I know, like it. it's rank. <laughs> yeah, nothing like it. Alicia Witt was in this film. Was it? The, I think this was her first film as well, right? I, I can't be sure, but she plays the the sister. Yeah, and uh, I think it is her first film. Yeah, wow. yeah. And it's funny. Like, I remember seeing this originally, and I even watching it again. She seems she comes off evil. She's like, ah, I'm gonna get you. And mm. it's like she is the. I guess she's good. She's helping her brother out. But I remember being like a little scared. Of yeah. her. <laughs> she's like, she's. She's tough. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think she is supposed to be menacing. Yeah. She's, like, got all this sort of, she's got all the knowledge and power of, like, uh, of her mother, of all these kind of Benny mm. Gesserit witches. Yeah. And she was born with it. So there's something really kind of spooky and kind of uncanny about that, I suppose. Right. And I think that's the kind of thing that when Lynch says he really enjoyed the book... I think it's stuff like that mm. that he's probably thinking about. You know, right. it is it's a creepy idea, this little girl running around with all, like, her wise old woman head on her shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> killing people. Yeah. And I like the Baron character. He's pretty creepy. And he's like, I actually enjoy, he, he flies and laughs around. And he's, he definitely feels like a Lynch character. He's really a little bit disturbing. Yeah, and his yeah. face. No, there's, there's theories about his face. I mean, does you guys know like why his face looked like is all like gross and stuff? I mean, was he overdosing on sp- spice or something? I, I I I didn't know why, and I don't know if you guys. Yeah, had any I mean, I why. don't. It's it's. I think he's the Baron Harkonnen in the book is certainly described as being very sick, um, oh, okay. or sort of very sort of grossly fat and having to use these kinds of. Um, suspenses these kinds of uh, gravity things just to get around, basically, which is why he's always floating around everywhere. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, but I'm not sure about, about the sores. Um, the, the only theory I saw, which was actually, I think, something about the film that is another thing that I guess be mentioned because it is, it is an unfortunate thing about D, it's heavily implied that the Baron is, um, is homosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in the book as well. And there seems to be a kind of panic about him having some kind of moral sickness that is also a kind of visible sickness hmm. on his face. And so there's a sort of homophobia in that that I think uh. some critics pulled up, and, and quite rightly, despite the fact that it's a brilliant performance. Hmm. And, it, you know, it's, it's quite... Um, I find it to be quite a fun character, but yeah, there's something about I think the way in which his sexuality is sort of part of his perverseness. Hmm. Uh, that yeah, it's kind of kind of tricky. Yeah, yeah, interesting. That's and, something. And his death is pretty pretty like crazy. You're like, oh, he gets swallowed <laughs> up by the worm. <laughs> he just flies off into the worm. <laughs> yeah, it, it reminded me of like the Thanksgiving Day Parade, Aww. Macy's Day Parade. <laughs> So then there's uh, Sean Young, the actress there, her character. This love interest seems to come out of nowhere <laughs> where it's like yeah. Kyle's character is kind of like, I've loved you forever. And it's like, yes. wait a minute. You know, <laughs> he, but he, he had, the, he he had a dream. One minute, he had a dream. So he's been dreaming about yeah, her yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. I am Chani, daughter of Liet. I would not have permitted you to harm my tribe. From my dreams. So beautiful. Come with me. I'll show you an easier way down. Yeah. I think they had chemistry and I liked them, but it just seemed like out of nowhere, it's like all of a sudden you guys are like a yeah. couple and stuff. And, and Rosie, that reminded me of Ingrid and Jon Snow. That's who she right. reminded uh, the, in Game of Thrones, they they're like captive, but then they fall in love and blah blah blah. They're madly in love within five seconds. Yes, and that's yeah, who yeah, I was yeah. like, so once again. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, that's right. another weird coincidence. But yeah, sh- they they became like a power couple. Right. They and were I'm a power got, couple. I'm kind of a romantic. I like seeing these things. I just would have liked had more backstory. I'd like to know more about her. I would like to slowly yeah. work on the relationship. And there's like, there's no time for that. We gotta just get them together and move on. And well, Ben, they clearly had a voiceover. That said, she's beautiful, <laughs> and they fell in love. That was it. It was like I've, I've yeah. known you forever. Yes, I've, I've you know wanted to be with you forever. They, yeah. He literally looked at her, and that was it. They were together. Uh, I mean, holy that was smokes. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd love to know what your favorite Kyle McLaughlin moment was in this film, but mine was the moment when he was standing over everybody, 
and he's given the big speech. I am Usul, Paul Muad'Dib. Our shared enemy, the Harkonnens, are once again in control of Arrakis. Stilgar, your leader, has asked me and my mother to teach you the weirding way to crush the Harkonnens. We must do more than this. We must totally destroy all spice production on Arrakis. The guild and the entire universe depends on spice. He who can destroy a thing controls a thing. I will take 100 of your warriors and train them. This 100 will train the thousands that remain. When the spice flow stops, all eyes will turn to Arrakis. The Baron and the Emperor himself will be forced to deal with us. Arrakis will become the center of the universe. I thought he did such an awesome job. Mm. Like, it was so cool. What, what about you guys? What was your favorite moment from him in this film? Well, I, I definitely really liked that bit a lot. Um, I also liked when he was riding the worm. I think it's similar kind of triumph. <laughs> yeah. He gets up there for the first time, and then Big Ed comes up as well, and yeah. it's very exciting. <laughs> I think it is that bromance that is my favorite when they just look at each other and, yeah. and, and it is because I, I you know I love Twin Peaks so much that I see that and it kind of makes me think yeah. of Twin Peaks I think but yep. I, I, that's probably for, for me too. So Brian, you you at least started reading a comic book of Dune. Yes. So Marvel put out a three-part adaptation of the film on in comics when the movie had come out. They put out a promotional comic book to get kids to read it. Mm. Even though the film, I think, is is it rated R or PG thirteen? It's PG thirteen. Okay, so it makes sense. And I tried to read them, in holy okay. smokes, it's just too confusing. I think the movie <laughs> gives you everything. The comic they cut a lot of things out, and it was mm. just like. It just hits the main beats. Yeah. And when I was reading the comic, you know, I see the castle. So I don't even know about the planets. And there's force fields. And it looks like they have the they had rings mm. that shot out, like, like lightsabers. I don't know. It was just like it, it didn't do it justice. I, I feel like it was just sort of like you saw the movie, you love the comic. Yes. You know, but I didn't see the oh, movie. Oh, that's a shame. I, I know there was a there was a video game in the sort of late or early nineties oh. that was out on the Amiga. That was a kind of strategy video game, huh. which apparently was very good. People speak very highly of it, so huh. I might try and check that out at some point. Was it based on the film? Was it based on Lynch's film? Or yeah, it had, oh. yeah, it had visuals from the film. Oh, wow. and, like people wearing the same kinds of costumes and stuff. That's really and, like, cool. Yeah, yeah. And apparently, huh. it was like it was a mix between like an adventure game. And, uh, you know, a sort of top-down strategy game, I guess, like Command and Conquer or something like that. Yeah. But it, it, looks, it looks really interesting. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out at some point because apparently it is actually quite good. Ah, that's cool. interesting to know. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool, yeah. So I really like the whole Messiah concept. I like the idea that you have this uh, this kid and he's not sure of himself. I mean, it's your typical Luke Skywalker storyline, really. I the mean, Matrix. I uh, ma- write the, the Matrix, one. Right, That's the where one. my, like, you're the one, yeah. the ma- you're Neo. Right. And, and he had to really realize it himself. And you're the one. Yeah. And, and then you know, when he gets his blue eyes, you know that yeah. he's, he's, you know, become the one or something. The yeah. blue-eyed, yeah. handsome devil. <laughs> <laughs> Any, about- and anything, Rosie, that you have in your mind you want to mention? So, I mean, I, I think I think we've covered loads of it. Yeah. I think we've, we've covered, like, the places where it works and the places where it falls down a bit. Mm. And the only other thing I would have liked to see more of, um, and this is just me speaking personally as, as someone who likes books, is the Bene Gesserit, which are the kind of all-female organization mm. that are kind of putting the strings behind the shadow. Because they just kind of run around like these weird sort of bald-headed witches mm. uh, yeah. in the film. But in, in the books, they're genuinely very cool. They're a really interesting organization, and uh, and you don't see enough of those kinds of all-female organizations anywhere, really, um, uh, and not even in fiction. And, uh, and Benny Jesuit genuinely, I think, are, are a cool example of, of one of them. So I thought it was a shame, but, you know, it was two hours long, and uh, right. they definitely put everything in. Yeah. yeah. 
And He's I have definitely. a question. So at the beginning of the film, there was like this tank and this creature in the tank, and he was, he, I think like he was the master or the person. We never see him again, I don't think, in the film. And it's like, no. I don't know if that would have been for sequels. We would have brought that character back. Yeah, like the big bad, Ooh. maybe. Yeah. And, and the thing yeah, is, you, you actually would have done. Yeah, he would have been in, in the second film. Ah. I guess Lynch was actually had already started working on the second film. He had written Messiah. Written, Messiah. He had actually yeah. done a yeah. script. Ryan, you were telling me this earlier that. that yeah, he was, he was working on on it but then I think it bombed deal, I think he had a deal to do two, two more, more films so it's kind of funny in a way he had a trilogy probably that Lynch would have been involved with if this had been a success ultimately I'm happy it didn't work out Aww. I mean <laughs> because, well, then, well, we, we, probably, we wouldn't have well, Twin Peaks we wouldn't have Blue Velvet maybe yeah, yeah. no I, I mean that's true I think it's yeah there's a lot of um I think it was uh, something of a happy accident, this yeah. film. You know, there's a lot we can take from it, a lot we can enjoy, a lot of ways it, it doesn't really seem to work. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I still, I, I absolutely love the hell out of it, even as a big fan of the book. And I think it was a learning experience for him. After this, he really did always get uh, Final Cut. And I mean, I think that's what he really learned, that if it's if he's going to do the projects, he's got to have uh, director's cut on these films. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, was, who were we talking to? Was it Was it... I can't remember if it was John Thorne or who we were talking to, but it, we, Lynch was lucky that this was his third film because you know he did Eraserhead and then he did The Elephant Man, and if it had gone, if it had been Eraserhead, Dune, he might have he might have you know maybe not had been as successful, but because he'd already had yeah. Elephant Man that was such a, a successful film. He, I think he was able to have a one bad film and be able to still work on other films. Yeah, after definitely. That. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah, it seems like it came at the right time, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I feel like the 80s and 90s and even now, um, these big action tentpole movies, they try to go for the indie director to come on and do these big movies. And sometimes they can but sometimes they can't, mm. you know? And yeah. I think yeah. Dave Lynch at the time is that indie darling. They're like, we can have him come in, and he we don't have to pay him as much, mm. and he can do this big sci-fi movie for us, you know? Like, they do that a lot. And sometimes it's just not their thing. And, and yeah, it all worked out in the end, definitely. Mm. I, was just, I was looking at the other actors, and there were definitely a, f- a few more actors that would go on to do other of uh, Lynch's films. There's uh, Freddie Jones, who was the... Uh, the, the the keeper of the elephant man. Oh wow! And then there was uh, who was was there? There's a there's a bunch. We mentioned some of. We already mentioned Jack Nance. Uh, Max von. Uh, was he in something else? You know what he's in? He's in uh, Star Wars. The, yes. Uh, the Force Awakens. Yes. And stuff yes. At the beginning. Yeah. Yep. I love the way Lynch does that as well. He always kind of yeah. People kind of stick around, don't they? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's loyalty or that he has faith in them that they can do other stuff. Oh, Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. Oh, Dean Stockwell, of course. Yeah. 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 And his eyebrows, holy smokes, were they big. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't know where the planet was with the eyebrows. Like, uh, it's like, wow. Where do they grow them? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and Brad Dourif. Is Brad Dourif in any other David Lynch films? I feel like he is, too. One? I'm trying to remember if he's in Wild at Heart. I feel like he's in... I love him. I, I, just, I just love him in anything. So I was, I was delighted to see him. And, of course, he was in Lord of the Rings. And, yeah, he's yeah. in that, a lot of things. X-Files. Yeah, X-Files. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Exorcist. Like, One Flew to Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, my gosh. What, what a career. Um, yeah. Oh, he is in Blue Velvet as Blue Raymond. Raymond. He must be like one of the sidekicks. Wow, yeah. I, I would That's never have known. Long list of he looked very familiar when I saw him. I'm like, I know that guy. Yeah, he kind of tends to have smallish roles in loads of things. Yes. He, um, is yeah, that, you yeah. always kind of notice him. He's wonderful. He's one of my absolute favorites. I love Brad Dorf. So anything else? I think we could say Toto did the soundtrack. <laughs> Oh, I thought the soundtrack was amazing. You know what's interesting? Uh, David Lynch tells a story about how the lead singer to Toto came in. David Page of Toto came down to Mexico and I talked with him. And when you're sitting with someone talking to them, you start uh, seeing things. And in David Page, I saw um, lots and lots of music that that, um, he wanted to make that wasn't like Toto's music. And he's he's uh, he's really a genius. He's got uh, tremendous uh, uh, t- talent, musical talent that is never used. And and many musicians I know are like this. They they get into one sort of thing, but inside them is is other things that that wants to come out. 
And so uh, he did, he got a chance to do, you know, lots of different things. And then Brian Eno uh, wrote a beautiful piece. Like, I didn't expect that from Toto, yeah. to be honest with you. Right, I, I, yeah, yeah. And I think Brian Eno was on the soundtrack yes. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. The ending. What do you guys think about the ending credits? I mean, this is a good way to end the podcast. The ending credits, uh, yeah. it felt like very soap opera-ish. Why did they do that? With the, they're showing all the characters and the names. It's funny you think it's soap opera-ish, because I kind of look at it as almost like a play, where at the end, everybody mm, takes okay. a bow, and everybody, like, so the, the, the movie has ended, and you bring each cast out. And so, Fair so enough. I, I didn't think it looked at it as a soap opera. It reminded me of, like, Dallas or something, <laughs> like, a Days of Our Lives. Uh, like, they all should be turning. And it says their name. Like, that's what I, th- I felt. Anyway, days like that. I would love it if they were all turning. Yes. That would Wouldn't be the, fantastic. They're all tur- smiling when they turn, even the bad guys. Or they make grumpy faces. You want them to do a thumbs up yes. or something like that? Kyle like, oh. gives a thumbs up. I mean, to me, that's what it reminded me of. I mean, what do you think, Rosie? What, how do you like the end credits? Um, I mean, now that you say that, I do totally agree with you. I mean, I was I was watching it earlier on, and um, and I was I was really enjoying how kind of ridiculous and camp it was, and um, I think Sting actually does take the opportunity to kind of ham it up a bit at the mm, camera and do his yeah. like evil villain face, um, <laughs> but I'm not quite sure the rest of the cast kind of knew what they were supposed to be doing. Um, just sort of standing there. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, there's, there's something about how sort of naff it is that I really enjoy. It, like, it is just silly because it is a serious, you know, it, it takes itself seriously. It's not it yeah. it, it's not no. campy, like, over, you know, overall there's some weird things. But to see that credit scene to me, I just thought it was kind of out of place. It was kind of like, I think, you know, I think you're right, yeah. Because it does feel, it is a film that takes itself tremendously seriously. Yeah. And actually that was something that, again, made me think of a mismatch with Lynch's mm. normal tone. You know, Lynch does uh, little familiar funny moments really, really well and very sort of human moments. Mm. Um, and, and Dune, I mean, it's, it's in the books as well. You know, I really love those books, but People are very, very serious all yeah. the time, yeah. um, and I, I think the, the 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 tone isn't isn't quite you know a match for Lynch's style, really. I think maybe the ending credits goes in line with what you were saying, Ben, about how they're trying to give us this information. So if there's going to be sequel. It reinforces yeah. the characters mm-hmm. one last time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, these are the characters. Remember them, because right. they'll be back. Maybe that's why they did it. To really, you see a name and a face? Because sometimes you do, I'm like, I hear yeah. a name. I'm like, who's that person they're talking about? But now you get to see everything. So maybe that's why they did it. I feel I still, I still like the idea of the play. Like I think if this was a, a successful film, people would be clapping. They say, "Oh, there's Kyle MacLachlan's character, yay!" And then you yeah. say, "Oh, there's," you know, each <laughs> yeah. person. I don't know. Yeah. You do wonder what could they have done it at the beginning of the film? Could the movie have started off with credits? Oh, I hope not. No, no, no. That would have been bad. Oh, that would have been really bad. Yeah. <laughs> they did ten minutes of giving us the characters. <laughs> Oh, God. People would have been like, oh, I'll just go home and read the novel. This is too much. (laughs) So, yeah, there's definitely stuff I liked about it. I mean, definitely. When you think about it, when it comes to the actors, they all did an amazing job. Yeah. The acting. Mm. We've talked about the visuals, and Joyce's mentioned the set was incredible. There's so much to to like about the film. And there is definitely Lynch elements. But I think, yeah, it's it's it definitely won't rank up as my top David Lynch film. Yeah. But. There's still things to no. like about it, and yeah. I keep saying to you, I, I'm waiting for like the special, special edition of the Blu-ray, and then maybe I'll pick it up. Even though you say just get it, get, just yeah. get the Blu-ray. I don't, I don't know if that's ever gonna happen, but uh, I I spent ten bucks on it. Uh, it's ten bucks worth spent. I mean, I enjoyed it, and I'll watch it again just so I can get better handle on that beginning hour. There's a yeah. lot yeah. of throughout, yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, just talking about it with you two, I think I got more of a grasp on it now because I think with with Lynch. Movies in general, all of them, including this one, when you talk about them afterwards, mm. it clears up a lot of stuff. Maybe. You know, always. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, totally part of the experience, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think that's why I enjoy his films so much, because it's the conversations after you have to right. really kind of yeah. figure it out, even though you don't know it, but you figure it out into your head and how you want to present it. and. 
but doing straightforward like elephant man you knew there was a bad guy you knew it had to be done yeah it was just the mythology of this just well, gets it's lost yes. it's interesting you say that because because of the voiceovers both like the narrator and the internal thinking at times i felt like i was in a dream like i mm. felt like and they would show uh. these visuals they would show like okay uh, a drop of water going into uh, the water into yeah, the water. yeah and there was yeah. all these different visuals and at times i was like oh this feels dreamy but i guess it was contrasting with this other serious sci-fi stuff where you could see lynch wanting to be more abstract and dreamy like yeah at the same yeah. time he had to stay true to the story but yeah and there was a ring there was a ring, just like a... Do you think that was his idea for Firewalk with Me ring? I don't know. <laughs> but there... Yeah. And it's funny, it, it played a part in the beginning where they had to protect the ring, and I feel like by the end, we didn't really hear anything about the ring. It was at the... His father... He had it. He Yeah, like the, the ring, and he pulled it off something, and he put it back in his finger. Yeah, and, but that was so early in the film, and yeah. then by the end, I mean, I guess he didn't need it. At the same time, he... He seemed like he was going to be a king, and then he became kind of of the messiah of Dune there. That he yeah yeah that yeah. yeah yeah. That is really strange, isn't it? That they totally set the ring up. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that you mention it, I've completely forgotten about that. Yeah. But they do. They completely set the ring up as like the significant thing right at the beginning, and then it just sort of disappears. I was just going to say his father died uh, yeah. over the ring. Over the ring. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. oh, no, no, I had a completely unrelated point, which was another thing that goes missing. Was, uh, I don't know if you noticed, there's a little dog, um, a little yes. pug dog, um, and it's so cute. And then at some point, the, the dog just goes missing. I think um, Patrick Stewart carries it into battle, uh. um, and then you never see it again. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. The pug dog, which I was like, did that dog just randomly fall on set? Why do they have a pug dog? <laughs> and they had a cow upside down, and he rips the tongue out of it, and he starts eating the tongue. Ooh. And then you see a, a hairless cat strapped to a rat. Yes. So and it was weird. They used animals. I'm like, where were these animals living? Where? where they have cows? And... The, the the pug dog and the weirdest oddest thing they mm. use that weird mm. body armor in the beginning where Patrick Stewart and Kyle MacLachlan are fighting mm. and they have these force fields but then I never see yeah. them using them again. It's true. Did they use them again? Did they blank no. out somewhere? No. I don't think they ever used you, you them. You think Sting and him I would use it? They did, no. Right. Yeah, Sting and him could have used those. Right. Well, no, Kyle MacLachlan yeah. could have. I don't think Sting had the technology oh, to do yeah. that. Because I think that was part of the ring. Didn't they have the ring? They used something to get that thing on them. Yeah, I don't know how that worked. I think they were even supposed to maybe have the force shields in the final fight, and then they don't. I think in the books, maybe they do. I'm not sure now. I'm doubting myself. But it is really weird because, yeah, you never see them again. Maybe that has to do with, like, when I was reading about the special effects, they ran out of money for special effects. So they get to the end of the film, and it's like, we're supposed to have the shields on at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, no, no shield. We we can't afford the shields. We don't mention it, so let's just forget about it. Yeah. 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 That's probably it. And the Sting fight was very quick. I mean, he Sting was going to get up with a little spike on his leg. Right. And Kyle McLaughlin thought of something. Yeah. And he mysteriously avoided it and put the knife right in his throat. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, that was Yeah, quick. that was it. Nobody yeah. thought that, that that he was a match for Kyle McLaughlin, right? I mean, nobody thought that he was going to be able to beat him. I mean, he could just yell right. at him and break him, basically. Yeah. <laughs> But they do that badass shot of Sting stepping out of the steam wearing, oh like, gosh. this weird underwear. And you, like... Oh, I love that. Yeah, they're building him up into this, like, monster. Like, he's in a kick butt. Oh. And he stinks. Is like, that what you thought when you saw him? He's like, oh, he's yeah. kicking butt, yeah. Yeah, he's gonna kick butt. <laughs> like, that shot was unnecessary because he wasn't that good of a fighter. Like, oh. they were building him up. Like, he was a WWF fighter. Yeah. And he, he was, like, one of the lower tier guys. He wasn't that good. That was for all the Sting fans. Yeah. All the fans of Sting, they'd say, see him uh, half naked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think we've uh, covered everything. Yeah, we, everything. we've done it. We've done it. We've done Done is... We, we finished with Sting's underwear, which is good. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Rosie, for, for talking about Dune with us. And, and definitely... Oh, thank you so much uh, for having me on. I was so delighted be invited it's been really fun yeah and, yeah and so how can people uh learn more about you learn more about diane podcast oh yes you can you can find us at uh diane podcast on twitter and um i think also diane podcast on libsyn is where we publish the podcast every week but if you yeah, if you look us up on twitter 
uh, you'll be able to find all our stuff there. Is it like every two weeks you guys have a new show? At the moment, yeah, it's it's kind of a uh, two weeks on, one week off schedule, so about three shows a month. And cool. as I say, we're still in the rewatch of, of Twin Peaks. We're sort of getting into the, the deep of, uh, of season two at the moment. Awesome. Nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. And you can check us out at Twin Peaks Unwrapped on Twitter. We're on Facebook. You can send us emails at, at TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. If you have questions or comments about Dune, about today's conversation, just hit us up and uh, send us those comments. Remember, we're on iTunes. Give us that five-star review. Leave us comments and rate us, and we'll be back next week. Dune is conceived of as a, as a planet that is totally desert so that water on it is the metaphor of, say, oil here, uh, very appropriate at the moment. Uh, it is a metaphor of uh, clean air, metaphor of water itself, I mean, potable water. And it's a metaphor for the shortages that we are encountering because of overpopulation. Mm. And the story is uh, told in, uh, in terms of the of people who are recognizable. You'd recognize these people, but they live in a culture that is somewhat different. Well, I never even heard of the book, uh, and Dino uh, called me and said, do you know about this book? And I said, uh, no, I never heard of it. And I thought he said June instead of Dune. And so uh, I read it, and I had a meeting with Dino, and I liked him right away. I didn't know if I would like Dino, and I loved the book, and so we, you know, started working together. But his daughter, Rafaela, it was the producer, and uh, she was fantastic, and she uh, did uh, a fantastic job of putting together a giant machine. We had, at one point, 1,700 people on the crew building and, and doing all sorts of things. It's been very strange for me because these jumps from Eraserhead to Elephant Man to Dune are, are huge uh, leaps. But uh, Dune uh, was a picture that took this much money and, and so uh, I never saw this money and I just uh, treated it as a, as a normal picture and it took three and a half years to do it, uh, working six days a week, but still the process of making a, the film is, is the same, tuning into this material and, and getting it somehow onto the screen. When you sort of try to tune into the material, you sort of feel what this essence is, and uh, in Dune some things could fall away, and I still felt that it was still saying Dune and other things had to stay because if they went away it, it wouldn't say Dune. And so I just tried to tune into the material and be true to the book. I was almost a historian. I seriously considered being a historian and while I was in the throes of this decision I came on the idea that leaders <coughs> amplify the mistakes, their, their mistakes are amplified by the numbers who follow them without question and charismatic leaders tend to build up followings, power structures, and those power structures tend to be taken over by people who are corruptible. I don't think that the old saw about uh, power corrupting and absolute power corrupting absolutely is accurate. I think power attracts the corruptible. <laughs>